when I think about empowerment, I think not only about what do I have the decision rights at, but how am I as an individual deciding what is the best course of action we should take and how am I going to influence the people that I need to influence to take that course of action because I believe in it that much. Welcome to Total Refresh, a podcast from Coca-Cola North America that's radically refreshing. I'm your host, Katherine Cherry. And I'm Jamal Booker. On season one of Total Refresh, we're doing something we've never done before. We're inviting people everywhere to listen in as we get real with our leaders. Consumers don't really think about it like, oh, hey, I'm going to go use e-commerce today. They just think, hey, I have items that I need. I have services that I need. And they want to do it in a way that is most convenient, gives them the best experience, gives them inspiration on what it is they want to buy, is a great value. That's how they're thinking about things. They're not necessarily separating it in their minds like we sometimes do as a business. Today, we're talking to Brian Sappington, who heads up digital commerce for Coca-Cola. My title is Chief Digital Integration Officer. And the team that I get to be a part of really thinks about is how do we bring that entire portfolio to life in a way that helps consumers get the beverage they want, when they want it, where they want it, how they want it, across all the different what we would call ecosystems that they engage with. Brian's responsible for everything in Coca-Cola North America in the digital realm. I'm really curious to hear how he thinks a total beverage shift will affect how we do business online. Things have changed so much in the world of digital. When Brian started at the company, the internet was a new concept and flip phones were all the rage. I'm curious to hear more about how Brian grew up in this business at the same time as these massive technology changes were afoot. Ready to get started? Let's do it. And you use the word digital marketing and digital commerce. A lot of times we say e-commerce, but how do you think about that? Sure. I think when people think about e-commerce, they sometimes think about that in a very specific uh, circumstance. I'm on the computer, I'm ordering from a website, and that's being shipped to my home. And people often think about that as e-commerce. When we think about digital commerce, it's a little broader than that. There's lots of ways that digital enables commerce. So it could be I'm on my phone, I'm on an app, I'm making a purchase, but then I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to pick it up. Or I'm in the store, I utilize my mobile app, I walk through, I take my goods, I scan out, or maybe I'm getting something delivered to my home. So there's implications of digitally enabled commerce is broader than just the parcel to home. When you think about commerce in general in the world today, we're all just people. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I, for example, um, we'll go on a road trip with our kids. We're driving down the road and the the kids are in the back seat and we're deciding it's time for lunch. Well, a decade ago when it was time for lunch, that meant, well, where do we want to stop at? I'm only going to stop at in the middle of nowhere, a place I trust. Well, today we've got a lot more choices because I can get on Yelp. I can take a look at what's around me make a decision on where it is I'd want to go and trust that it's going to be good because, you know, 50 people I don't even know are like saying it's going to be a good place. I just traveled uh, over the holidays to Hawaii and we joked the whole time that it was a smartphone enabled vacation because we had no itinerary, (laughs) no bookings, no itinerary, no plans. We had a, a vehicle and a smartphone. 
and we had the best time. It was a blast. But And you can get anywhere now, yeah. right? Well, just to follow up on that, this idea of digital versus data, right? So digital, you can connect and see what restaurants are there with you. But then if 100 people say this is a great restaurant, that's kind of data, right? I'm just kind of curious to hear you talk a little bit about those things. I think the utilization of data and leveraging analytics is a significant capability that creates the use cases, if you will, for a lot of the digital technology that happens. Hmm. So because there's so much different information being collected today and we have computing power that's pretty phenomenal, we're able to sort of synthesize information so things can be sent and given to people in the most relevant way, in a way that's meaningful for their life at that moment. So we're starting to collect data in terms of like our data strategy and decision science work and how they're building out a data lake and the capabilities to capture all the, the great insights and information we have so we can be more relevant to consumers, we can be more relevant to our customers and really create better experiences for all of our stakeholders and make better decisions. I want to step back and talk a little bit about where you're from. I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Orange County in a place called Yorba Linda. And I, I lived there from three to basically 18 uh, when I went, went off to the University of San Diego. It was an incredible place to grow up, um, being able to be at the beach, being able to go snowboarding or skiing, um, great places like, you know, Disneyland's there. and so many incredible memories. The weather's like 75 to 80 every single day. It's an awesome, awesome place. You know, there is something about Southern California and sort of the calming nature of growing up there and the patience that I think sometimes people have in that environment because it's just a little bit different that has been helpful for me kind of over the course of my life, I think. So you majored in business. Did you have an inkling of this proclivity as a teenager? When did your interest in business kind of spark for you? So I, I always had an interest in business as a young person. My dad worked for Nike, so I had this kind of experience of being able to do really cool things because of my dad's affiliation of where he worked, and then seeing him really succeed in life and what that provided for our family and the joy that he got out of the work that he did. There was something around that that, you know, drew me to it. You know, growing up as a kid, there was lots of things I thought that I could potentially do or would want to do. I thought about being a lawyer. I thought about business. I had people that used to tell me I needed to be a pastor. So I had a whole kind of sets of, of things that I could go do. But after I graduated from school, I had a bunch of different opportunities that I was looking at. I was fortunate. I graduated a little bit before the some of the recession stuff hit. And the opportunity to come to Coca-Cola was a pretty special opportunity. Because like most people, I had all sorts of moments and memories in my life that included the brand. And so there's this special connection that you get to have sometimes with the place. And to be able to come right out of university to work here was cool. You know, I had a job offer between Coke and Sun Microsystems. And Sun Microsystems was in the tech field and that was booming. And it was a finance job in Sun Microsystems. And all the people that work in finance that work with me are like, Thank goodness he didn't choose that path. (laughs) But um, and then there was this this sales job at Coca-Cola and the sun job actually paid more, which, you know, when you first come out of school is a big deal. And I had this decision to make around what I really want. What's the work that I'm going to enjoy more? And where's the career trajectory that um, is going to take me the furthest and give me the most? And 
I decided that being able to be out, work with people, help them grow their business uh, was something that was a little more fun, a little more exciting for me than being sort of doing some more accountant work. That's awesome work. There's people that love to do that work and thank goodness they do. But for me, you know, as a sales associate, when you start, I just had a better connection to this idea of you've got these people whose livelihood are in these businesses and you can help them really differentiate their lives through our brands and products. And so that was a kind of a cool thing for me that connected really early. So I know uh, Coke was a big part of your life growing up. Love to hear another story if you've got one about that. Yeah, and it sort of starts after I joined Coke. I actually met my wife at Coca-Cola. In many ways, the company's given me a ton because it gave me my wife and then it gave me Molly. And then it gave me two children, hmm. uh, Madeline Claire, who were nine and six. And so for me, there's that sort of added special sort of situation or whatever as it relates to our, our company in that I met the person that I love and my partner in my life who I never would be doing any of the work I'm doing today without her investing in me and believing in me and caring for me and having confidence in me and those types of things. And I, I got that because of Coke. I mean, we met at a company meeting in LA over big shrimp. Like that's, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's where we met. And, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't work for the company anymore. We're fortunate. And she's made the choice to stay home with our kids, but you know, without, without meeting her, there's no way that I'm doing the kind of work I'm doing today or I'm the person I am today. And I don't have my two amazing little girls either. You mentioned some memories of Coke growing up. Do you have any stories or anything that you can share? My dad and I, we'd always, like if there was an eight-ounce glass bottle, I was always getting a Coke. Mm -hmm. And it was always a treat, and it was always awesome. And that was just something that, like, my dad and I, you know, sure. really, really shared. Sure. And then I think, you know, even with my mom, we used to love to go to the movies as a family. And part of that was the concession stand and, like, getting a popcorn and getting a Coke and, like, being able to be together as a family, there's just those memories that just get embedded in your life. And it goes all throughout your life. You know, there's sporting events. There's a whole host of things where the brand was in that moment for me all mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. And now to be able to be here and try to help continue being in those moments uh, for, for people's lives, and not just with Brand Coke, with like our entire portfolio of brands is a super cool opportunity. You started in uh, national sales, so just kind of curious what that job entailed, you know, the first one or two jobs you had at Coke. Yeah, right out of school. Yep. So yeah, I was in our food service and on-premise organization, and I was a sales associate. And I had the two best territories, in my opinion, in the world. So I had Southern California, if people know that. I had Newport Beach to San Clemente, which is basically the coast of Orange County. <laughs> awesome place. And then they said, hey, Brian, can you go down and work on this other territory in San Diego? And I had La Jolla to Oceanside. And so my job in those two roles was to work with local eating and drinking customers to help them grow their business uh, and then lead a group of, um, you know, larger customers to help bring business building ideas to their business. And it was incredible opportunity. I mean, you, th you think about, I was a young person and I every day was making choices and decisions on placing two to $3,000, $4,000 worth of capital and equipment into outlets. That's a lot of empowerment sure. that the company was giving to me to make those choices and those decisions. It was a really great opportunity. And I had great leadership that helped me sort of learn. Uh, and then I 
took some risk and there was an open role in Columbus, Ohio. And so I moved all the way to Columbus, Ohio. So I'm a person who really their entire life has lived in Southern California. I mean, my parents moved to Oregon after I graduated high school. So I'd go up to Oregon every once in a while over the summer and stuff to visit them. But I had lived basically my entire life in Southern California. And now I'm in the middle of Ohio and Columbus, but it is cloudy a lot and it is not Southern California, (laughs) but it was still a great place to be, but it was like not the same at all. What would be some of the key lessons that you learned in your early career, both in Southern California and in the Midwest around sales and how that still applies more broadly to the work that we do today? Sales ultimately is about influencing. And so something that stuck with me is understanding of how do you actually influence people? Whatever role you have in the organization, you have maybe a point of view around something you think should be done. And that point of view uh, is nice if you have it. It's even better if you can help others understand why it's the action we should take. Just in general, when I think about empowerment, I think not only about what do I have the decision rights at, but how am I as an individual deciding what is the best course of action we should take and how am I going to influence the people that I need to influence to take that course of action because I believe in it that much. And so for me, as I think about influence, there's a few things that really come to mind. I think number one is listening. Influencing is primarily about listening to others, about understanding what their needs are, understanding what the implications are, understanding um, their ideas around what needs to be done. If you're able to do that, then you have a really good opportunity to bring solutions forward to people because that's what people are interested in. They're interested in solutions. They're not interested in you think you're right because you're right. They're interested in how is this going to solve a problem? How is this going to create an opportunity? For me, influencing was like the biggest thing kind of in my early career that I I really learned. Uh, The other piece was really trust and the importance of creating trust amongst groups of people. So when I was in my early career in sales, I had to um, go out and I would um, work with a customer, I would place fountain equipment orders, and then someone else would take those, schedule those, make sure the install was happening. I didn't have the time to do all that work. And if I wanted to be someone who managed every single point in interaction of that process, I wouldn't achieve the objectives I need to achieve. I needed to trust my account coordinator and the team that was supporting me on the operations side to make sure that that was going to be fulfilled. I needed to have that trust in them. So that was the second piece that I thought kind of really came through in my early career. And then I think the final piece, uh, I moved in August. And in February, the the, the company had a reorganization. Yeah. And I actually was impacted by the reorganization and told I didn't have a role. Hmm. And I felt, uh, you know, complete shock by that and was really surprised that it that had happened because I was like the youngest person in my position. I thought I had the world at my feet and it really hit me hard. And I had to make a choice, the kind of person I wanted to be coming out of that. Did I want to be somebody... Uh, who was going to be be bitter? Was I going to be angry? Was I going to kind of walk away from the responsibilities I still had? Who was I going to be? Could I persevere through this? And 
um, it really demonstrated to me the importance of things, unexpected things are going to happen in your life. How do you adapt to those things? How do you make the choice and the decision on the type of person that you want to be coming out of that? And I'm a person of faith. And so I relied heavily on my faith to like help me think about what would the appropriate actions be? What would the appropriate, you know, way for me to behave look like? How would I want to treat people? And I was able to make it through it. And I was fortunate enough to like find a role in the organization and, and, and be able to continue here. And, you know, now I get to lead a, a great team at Coke. But that was probably the biggest lesson in my career because it also told me that like I didn't have all the answers. I needed to really check my ego and I wasn't the greatest thing ever. And that was one of the best things in my career because it helped ground me in a way and teach me about perseverance. It can be challenging at times, right? Because you have travel, sometimes you don't see the kids, et cetera. So just wondering how you as a leader balance all of that. How do you make that work for yourself and your family? Yeah, you know, a big part of love with your kids is finding ways to make sure I'm in their lives. And on weekends, we're spending time as a family, just creating those moments and relationships. And then, like, I talked about, like, as a kid, going to the movies with my mom and dad and my sister. My sister works for Coke, too, so we're, like, we're a total Coke family. Amazing. I love going to the movies with my kids. And now, when we go to the movies, I can get my seat and get my Coke and my popcorn delivered to my seat, right? (laughs) So, like, I don't even have to go to the concession stand or any of that, but... Um, Like, I love those experiences. So for me, it's really about, like, the time that I'm investing and the choices that I'm trying to make. And I I like to talk to them about what I do. Mm -hmm. We've got empowered, curious, iterative, and inclusive. Which growth behavior is the greatest challenge for you? And how are you changing your daily habits to improve upon that growth behavior? So... For me, I think maybe iterative is is one of the hardest ones to really get our heads around uh, and for me to work in. And the reason why is we have been a company that sort of demands perfection in every sort of engagement and interaction for a really long time. I was raised in this company. I've spent 18 years within Coca-Cola. And so it has been ingrained in me that when I'm working with, you know, leaders that are maybe one or two levels above myself, that the deck is going to be perfect if I'm going to be presenting a deck. And there's not going to be a comma missing or that. And that, that sort of stuff really exists. But that's not value added. Hmm. What's value added is the ideas and the concepts and the discussion mm-hmm. and what it is we want to move forward with. And so one of the things I'm trying to do to, to make that happen is – we're sharing things really early in my new group. Mm. Like we've been around now officially for just over 30 days. Wow. (laughs) And we're meeting actually uh, with the North America leadership team and we're going to lay some things out 30 days in. Yep. But it's not the primetime version. It's not the final version. And I think that's the other thing too, is there isn't really a final version for almost any of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. It's going to change. It's going to need to adapt because the world is adapting and people's needs are adapting. So we can't live in a fixed mindset. We have to live in a mindset of adaptability and change and growth. Broadly, what does total beverage mean? And then specifically, if I work in digital commerce, 
what does total beverage mean for my job? How has this strategy changed the way that I go to work? Sure. So my definition of total beverage is we're going to have a brand in a beverage category that's going to meet your need as a person for every time you're thirsty. Then as it relates to digital, what's really interesting is the category dynamics in terms of beverage are completely different. So sparkling soft drinks across pure physical purchases are far and away the leader as it relates to dollar value. When you look at digital, that's not the case. So I think 31% is the beverage category mix for sparkling soft drinks and sort of physical. It's only 13% in digital. So the responsibility we have is to not only take these still brands that we have, these juice brands that we have, and go drive those and, and make those relevant to consumers, but it's to shape the sparkling category online. Those are great products that have a great functional benefit that really matter and can mean something to consumers when they're eating, you know, when they're celebrating. And we've got to find the way to make those most relevant. So what's interesting for us is it's not only about how are we going to you know, continue to drive growth as it relates to our still portfolio. But how do we drive that growth of the sparkling category where we may have shared leadership online, which we do with digital commerce, but the category under indexes so dramatically, we've got to find a way to kind of move through that. Thank you so much for joining us today on Total Refresh. I have learned a ton um, and I am very excited to see what is coming down the pike for your part of our business. I love being here. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And it was a great experience. On the next episode of Total Refresh. Life is not a dress rehearsal, so you might as well go, you know, do those things you can do to help build out who you want to be. One thing I will say how I approach things is I'm courageous and I'll take some risks. Stay refreshed by subscribing to Total Refresh on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts are found. Total Refresh is a production of the Coca-Cola Company in partnership with Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Jamal Booker and Catherine Cherry. The show is executive produced by Michelle Curry and Rose Reed and produced by me. Cooper Skinner is our sound engineer and editor. Our music is composed by Thomas Avery at Tune Welders. And our artwork is by Tova Rosenberg. A special thanks to all the Coca-Cola employees who made this podcast possible.